For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and welcome to this week's readout from our Wednesday Wake Up newsletter, which starts with the startling news that the project to electrify the entire United States is not practical. An outfit named Canary Media, which exists for the sole and joyous purpose of, quote, chronicling the transition to a decarbonized economy and society, end quote, has pointed out that, quote, the U.S. has more clean energy projects planned than the grid can handle, end quote. And rather than heckle them for stating the obvious, we say thank you for giving practical details some thought, however late in the game. They actually think the problem is quite minor and can be solved with, drumroll please, political will. But they do admit that even if currently proposed projects could theoretically get the U.S. to 80% carbon-free by 2030, quote, based on historical trends, less than a quarter of those planned projects are likely to be built, end quote. See, apparently it takes a lot of work, materials are expensive, permits are hard to get, and even the U.S. Department of Energy, on one of whose reports the story relies, admit that it's doing a terrible job getting them built. Canary says, quote, these barriers could prevent many planned projects from reaching completion and block the country from decarbonizing fast enough to prevent the most devastating effects of global warming, end quote. And frankly, there are so many errors in that sentence it's hard to keep track of, since even if they hit their 2030 targets, the U.S. would not decarbonize, nor, if it did, would it prevent these so-called most devastating effects, given China and India going full coal ahead. But still, once it occurs to you that you can easily decarbonize in eight years if you just completely revamp both the economy and the government, you might be on your way to a much more realistic appreciation of the true situation. Who knows? You might even take a second look at the science, especially since the Canary Media Editorial Charter commits them to, quote, provide context and avoid oversimplification or misrepresentation of complex issues, end quote. Of course, another plan is to retreat into fantasy. Thus, Flipboard tells us, quote, scientists hit the streets demanding action on climate change. Bosh. Extinction Rebellion did try to overthrow the establishment back on April 1st, or at least blockaded a truck carrying oil, though unfortunately it was cooking oil. But nobody noticed, except a few people who got really annoyed. And face it, nobody noticed the scientists either. This piece was curated by Flipboard Science, which is a bad start, at least for us. And they curated it from Smithsonian Magazine, which trumpeted that, quote, over a thousand scientists from 25 countries took part in the Scientist Rebellion's demonstrations last week, end quote. Which means about 40 people per country in about one of eight countries around the world. Despite which, Flipboard hallucinates a wave of protests from Washington to London, Paris, and Los Angeles, and throws in, quote, youth climate strike sees crowds in 750 cities around the world, end quote which turns out to come from Grist, which announces, quote, We are unstoppable. Youth climate strikes return in full force. Above signs of children with brilliantly original and constructive slogans like People Not Profit and System Change Not Climate Change. So again, all we need to do in the next few years is revamp our economy and our government totally and our social values. Speaking of which, Flipboard also brings us a piece from Vice, and who can say no to that source, quote, just stop oil, the young climate activists shutting down fossil fuels, end quote, in case you didn't realize they were being shut down. It's all good, clean fun, of course, but until you have something practical to say that will interest anyone outside the choir, then like the sea, you're all wet, and you're not rising anytime soon. Which doesn't stop the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation from promising that if you're tired of wall-to-wall climate coverage, no matter what else is happening, they'll give it to you anyway. And now, a word from our sponsor. And that's you. Or at least it should be. 
Because if you want us to keep annoying the right people with our newsletters and our videos, you, our regular viewers, need to step up with a one-time or monthly contribution. I'm not talking a lot of money, unless you're like, extra rich. The price of a cup of coffee a month. That's what we need from the 10,000 or so people who tune in weekly. If you do that, the video and the newsletter will keep bringing sanity to the climate debate and to you. And now, back to me. In unrelated news, our state broadcasters having serious trouble attracting an audience. But don't worry, they will continue to yell that our hair is on fire even if we don't notice the flames when we look in the bathroom mirror. And over at an energy industry publication called energynow.ca, where I know Jeffrey Kahn scoffs at, quote, an Uber driver in Calgary recently confided that he didn't believe in climate change. Thankfully, Uber drivers are not responsible for setting climate policy. Which isn't actually true, since the generic person in the street, also known as the voter, is actually meant to be highly engaged on the file and demanding that politicians act. And people like Greta Thunberg don't seem to think you need any special credentials to be an expert on climate. What specifically attracted Can's scorn is that this Uber driver believes, quote, that humanity has only been relevant on the planet for a tiny fraction of the Earth's long geological history, and the planet has experienced multiple waves of climate change long before human relevance. Extreme weather events were odd, but nothing to worry about, and certainly no reason to change anything, unquote. Can then retorts that, quote, he was unaware that the Great Barrier Reef on Australia's eastern shore has lost 50% of its coral since 1995 because the temperature in the oceans has risen, subjecting the reef to back-to-back bleaching events and triggering more intense cyclone damage, end quote. Well, if we may nitpick, the Great Barrier Reef has lost so much coral that in 2020 it recorded its highest level since 1985. Can throws in the kitchen sink on extreme weather, but... What does he have to say about the Uber driver's claims about the prehistoric record? He scorns to respond. Which isn't that odd, since the silence or distortion from climate activists when it comes to paleo is actually a consistent feature of their irate presentations. For instance, Al Gore in An Inconvenient Truth, saying temperature had been stable since the end of the last glaciation, or John Kerry in Jakarta in 2014, claiming it had been stable for millions of years. And then there's Michael Mann's hockey stick that wipes out the medieval warm period and the Little Ice Age in favor of a slow, steady downward trend with minor fluctuations from roughly the reign of Athelstan to that of Victoria. And in this context, we also note that Charles Rotter on What's Up With That alerts us to a new study about the influence of plants on temperature, which admits that it's complicated. That might seem like a molehill rather than a mountain, and the fact that it's all about computer modeling might lead you to wonder if there's even a mole. But at least it does use real-world data as the starting point for an attempt to explain a massive past temperature fluctuation, the Holocene Climatic Optimum, which had nothing to do with CO2, so alarmists tend to brush it aside, even if they haven't yet tried to high-stick it right out of the stadium. The piece starts with a recognition that too many, quote, models of Earth's atmospheric temperature since the last ice age showed temperatures warming consistently over time, but climate proxy records tell a different story, end quote also known as the models can't even predict the past, never mind the future. The author does open the door to discarding the data, not the models, in response, saying maybe the Holocene Thermal Maximum, as it's also known, didn't happen. But if it did, maybe plants increase warming. Or not. We don't know. But at least the paper admits that the models do need to do a better job of fitting the data, and amazingly, in this area, that's huge progress. The newsletter also continues our CDN by the Sea series by dropping by Den Helder in the Netherlands, where they know a thing or two about living with rising seas, 
and about measuring actual sea level instead of just running computer simulations. So here's the sea level record from Den Helder, which is north of Amsterdam. At the current rate, 1.6 millimeters per year, it will take 617 years to go up one meter. And our guess is the Dutch will cope fairly easily, even with this dramatic surge. In the newsletter, we also look at more proof that cooling is bad, as we noted in our recent video on the Little Ice Age. Alarmists remain convinced that warming over the next century will devastate agriculture, despite the steady rise in output over the past 60 years. But now a new study from a team led by Frederick Lundvist of Stockholm University assembles grain price data from 1500 to 1800 from all over Europe and found that, guess what? Food prices fall when weather warms and supply expands, and prices rise when it gets cold and crops do less well. So unless you like scarce expensive food, warming wins. Again, we dip into the CO2Science.org archive for a study of Antarctic sea ice this time that finds that models say it should shrink and expand along with Arctic ice, but it doesn't. Instead, quote, the fact that the Southern Hemisphere sea ice has increased over the last 35 years, while 95% of the climate model historical runs over this period have sea ice decreasing, is unexpected, end quote. Although that's only true if you think the models are accurate, despite their inaccuracy. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I prefer my history historical.